Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us. The Chicago Auto Show is going on this week here in the Windy City, and though this show doesn't match the Detroit Auto Show in news or vehicle introductions, it still gets its share of new hardware and attracts important people from the auto industry. On today's show, we will discuss some of those new models, including the Kia Soul electric vehicle and the redesigned Ford Transit Connect, a compact van that opened a new market niche a few years back. And we will take a look at the future of cars and driving with a discussion of autonomous cars that can drive themselves. We will explore autonomous cars with A. Gil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive and co-author of a study entitled Autonomous Cars, Not If, But When. IHS predicts that autonomous cars that can transport you without you doing any of the driving could be available by 2030. By then, you might be able to just sit back, browse the Internet, sip coffee, and enjoy the view on your way to work. But before we explore that brave new world, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Toyota's Lexus division was the most reliable brand in J.D. Power's 2014 Vehicle Dependability Study, which measured problems in vehicles after three years. Lexus owners reported the fewest problems for the third straight year, and Lexus had a large margin over second-place Mercedes-Benz. Cadillac, Acura, and Buick rounded out the top five brands. Honda and Toyota tied for sixth place with Lincoln. General Motors not only had two brands in the top five, but all of its brands scored at or above the industry average, a first for GM. Chevrolet tied for 13th, and GM was GMC was 16th out of 31 brands. In addition, GM vehicles had the fewest problems in eight vehicle segments, more than any manufacturer. Toyota had seven segment leaders, and Honda had six. The bottom five brands, the ones with the most problems, were, in descending order, Hyundai, Jeep, Land Rover, Dodge, and Mini. J.D. Power's Vehicle Dependability Study surveyed 41,000 owners of vehicles from the 2011 model year. Toyota announced another major recall earlier this week. Toyota said it is recalling 713,000 Prius hybrid models in the U.S. and 1.9 million globally to fix a software glitch that could cause the car to lose power or stall. Regular Prius models, not the Prius C or Prius V, from the 2010 through 2014 model years are covered by this recall. The software in the, in the hybrid system could cause overheating and make the car go into a fail-safe mode where it can still be driven but with reduced power. Toyota said in some cases the system could shut down and cause the vehicle to stop. Toyota says it has not received any reports of accidents or injuries because of this problem. Toyota has recalled more than 5 million vehicles for safety-related issues in the U.S. in both of the last two years, the most of any manufacturer. And for the second year in a row, all car companies combined recalled more vehicles in the U.S. than they sold. In 2013, 22 million vehicles were recalled for safety problems. In comparison, the industry sold 15.6 million vehicles. According to the auto industry, consumers who are buying new cars are demanding more connectivity so they can talk by cell phone, text, check email, surf the Internet, and listen to the music they want while they're driving. And the car companies are racing to cater to these demands with new infotainment features. But Senator Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia said last week that such technology is distracting drivers 
and causing accidents and deaths. Rockefeller warned automakers and technology companies that if they don't take steps to reduce driver distractions, he will propose laws that restrict cell phone use in cars. I'm very nervous, not just about deaths, but those close-to-death injuries, Rockefeller said, and he scolded car and technology manufacturers for adding these features, quote, all for the sake of outdoing each other and making more money, end quote. Vehicle manufacturers responded that they have reduced distractions with features such as voice controls for message and music functions that allow drivers to keep their hands on the wheel. We will discuss this topic in greater detail on next week's show. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. As we promised at the top of the show, we'll be interviewing Agil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive and co-author of a recent study on autonomous cars that talks about when you can expect to see self-driving vehicles and what they will be able to do. That interview will come in the second half of today's show, and first we'll share some other interviews and news from the Chicago Auto Show. Kia introduced the 2015 Soul EV here last week as the first electric vehicle Kia will sell in the U.S. The Soul EV will compete with electric cars such as the Nissan Leaf and Ford Focus Electric, and Kia says it will have a longer driving range than either of those competitors. Here is more on the Soul EV. We are talking with Steve Kozowski, the manager of long-range strategy and planning for Kia Motors America, about the 2015 Soul EV. Steve, tell me a little bit about the vehicle as to how it's different from the uh, gas-powered. Well, good morning, Rick. The the car starts on the outside with uh, a two-tone uh, exterior paint theme where there's a different roof color from the, the body. This car here has a blue body with a white roof. But you'll also notice that the wheels are different. They have a different design. Um, they're also lightweight. And then the front fascia or the bumper skin is unique. The grill opening is unique. And the headlight has a different um, set of lamps inside of it. Instead of a conventional grill, it looks like that's a charge port. That's exactly right. We put the charge ports in the front of the car for convenience. So if you charge on the street or you charge at home, uh, it's really accessible to you. Now, uh, what is the uh, uh, battery... Uh, power or capability, and what's the driving range of the Soul EV? Right, so we use a 27 kilowatt hour, 360 volt lithium ion polymer battery. Uh, it's very energy dense. Uh, we understood going into the project that we wanted to have a really powerful battery, and that's what we've uh, been able to achieve. It's uh, it's located under the car, and it's got a, um, uh, a very high energy density to it, which is important because we didn't want it to intrude into the car. Uh, you know, a lot of EVs will have the battery sort of intruding into the cabin space, and that's one of our selling points with this is we've got a really powerful, uh, probably the most powerful battery among the mainstream EVs, uh, and, and it doesn't intrude into the car because it's very energy dense. So there's no loss of passenger or cargo space? Very minimal loss. Yeah, in fact, if you get in the back seat of our car and you get in the back seat of uh, a regular soul, you you can barely notice the difference. Yep. Okay, and, and what is the uh, the estimated driving range on a single charge? So we've been able to go, uh, well, we're saying that the real world range is between 80 and 100 miles, and in our testing and evaluations, we're getting over 100 miles on a single charge. Okay, which uh, I think the uh, Ford Focus Electric and the Nissan Leaf are in the range of 70 to 75 miles, so you're uh, saying it'll probably be more. Probably be more. Okay, and... Uh, how about recharging? What uh, type of recharging systems are available? How long does it take? So there's three ways to recharge the car. You can use your standard wall outlet, 120 volt. That's called level one, and that will take about 24 hours to re- fully recharge the car. So that requires some planning. <laughs> it requires some planning. It, you know, it works for some people, and it requires some planning, and it works fine. Uh, if you want to recharge it more quickly, you can get a, a home charger. We've partnered with three charger companies, including 
including Leviton, Bosch, and AeroVironment. And that would be a 240-volt charger. You, know, you hang it on the wall in the garage, and you could plug the car in in your garage. And then the third way is uh, what we call DC fast charging. It's 480 volts, so it's a, it's a lot of voltage. It's a lot of power. But you can recharge the car in about 33 minutes on a DC quick charge to 80%. And it, it's important because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a way of uh, quenching any range anxiety. If you know there's a DC quick charger nearby, you can, you can stop and charge if you need it. Um, we found that in our research that a lot of customers who drive EVs will uh, they'll plan their route or they'll, they'll make the quick charge part of their daily drive. So if a customer uses the car to go to and from work, he might stop at a quick charger like on the way home. While the car is charging, he'll have a bite to eat, and then he finishes his drive home. Now the uh, the quick charge capability is uh, built into the car? It is. It's standard. We're including the quick charger as standard equipment. What are some of the other standard features uh, such uh, that, that an electric vehicle owner could make use of? Uh, I think it would start with uh, things like the navigation. It has standard 8-inch uh, navigation screen. It's got a standard rear camera for backup safety. Um, it has uh, uh, lots of instrumentation that an EV customer will want to use and know. For example, uh, you know, battery monitors, range uh, monitors. Um, as you're driving, you can you can clearly see where chargers exist on the on the navi screen. So as you're driving along, you know, you can you toggle through different screens and you'll see, oh, there's a charger here, there's a charger there, things like that. And then again, most importantly, is range. Um, there's a couple of power meters that that uh, portray uh, as you put your foot on the gas pedal or the the accelerator pedal, um, you know, how much power you're consuming, how much power is is going back into the battery on regeneration, right? Because when you drive the EV and you, you lift off the throttle and you apply the brakes, um, that energy is going back into the battery to recharge the battery. So you can see all that as you're actually driving the car. We're talking with Steve Kozowski of Kia Motors America about the 2015 Soul EV. When does it go on sale and where? The car is going to go on sale in late third quarter. We're saying in the fall of 2014. And the two um, initial markets will be in California and Oregon. And then in the first quarter of 2015, the car will go on sale in eastern markets, including New York, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we're also mindful of uh, other markets across the country uh, that have an appetite for EVs. So uh, we're studying that, but we're not ready to announce anything yet. What can you say about the price of the solar EV? Uh, we haven't talked about price yet, and we're going to get to that a little closer to launch, Rick. The uh, uh, Nissan and others have cut the price of their EVs after introducing them. Yes. You've noticed that, too. Yes, we have. Yes. So uh, we should expect you to come out of the box with the price you'll stick with? Well, uh, we're mindful of that and the market demand and the market um, um, uh, what the market will bear, and we're we're, we're confident that the, the value of the car, that, that what the car has to offer, uh, will fit well with the price points we decide on. Okay, thank you. That You're was, welcome. That was Steve Kozowski of Kia Motors America talking about the 2015 Soul EV. As uh, Steve Kozowski of Kia mentioned, the 2015 Soul EV goes on sale this fall and initially only in California and Oregon. We have to pause here for a short break, but stay tuned. When we come back, we will talk with Tim Mahoney, the Global Marketing Director for Chevrolet, and also hear about major changes to the Ford Transit Connect. Stay with us. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Chevrolet is General Motors' biggest brand, and it sold more than 5 million vehicles around the world last year, more than half of GM's total sales. Chevrolet also is the most uh, second most popular brand in the U.S. behind Ford. Chevrolet has gone through a number of advertising slogans and marketing messages in recent years, and we spoke with Tim Mahoney, the head of global marketing for Chevrolet at the Chicago Auto Show. Here is what he says Chevrolet stands for today. We're talking with Tim Mahoney, the global marketing director for Chevrolet brand. And Tim, 
What does the Chevrolet brand stand for now, and what do you see it becoming in the future, or what do you want it to be in the future? Sure. So we, uh, the brand just had a, a one-year birthday about uh, two weeks ago, and that's the birthday of the, of the positioning Find New Roads. Find New Roads is uh, not only a tagline for Chevrolet, but it's also kind of a North Star in terms of, of, of where we're going, and it's about ingenuity uh, and ingenuity in the areas of design, uh, ingenuity in the area of technology, and ingenuity in the area of performance. Um, that's ultimately what the brand will, will make the brand strong and what we want it to stand for. When we reduce it down to one word, it's about possibilities. Finding new roads is about finding something better, something different, and it's about what's possible, and that's what we want the brand to stand for. Chevrolet, uh, within General Motors' lineup, has traditionally stood for value, I yep. think, yep. or value price. Yep. How does that going to play out going forward? Yeah. So the, the three pillars that I mentioned, design, technology, performance, are underpinned by two very sort of key elements, uh, one of which is value, the other is quality. Um, you know, when the company started um, many years ago, over 100 years ago, with Louis Chevrolet and Will Durant, one guy wanted to make performance cars that were fun and fast to drive, and one guy wanted to make family value-oriented cars. And so the value component for Chevrolet has always been there. It always is foundation. I think probably the Corvette uh, that we just launched this year and was North American Car of the Year really embodies all of those things in one, one place. Great value, great quality, and uh, design te- technology and performance.
so the, the cost associated with it, um, new technology, maybe repair everything else are somewhat unknown, so we'll just have to see how it plays out when we go forward. Okay, and today here at the show you unveiled the City Express, a small urban type commercial van. Is that a sign of the times for fuel economy, price, or what? I think it's um, I think it's rounding out our offering uh, for our commercial fleet buyers. Uh, it's it's ideally suited, as you said, it's a small van for urban environments. So for small business owners that might own a florist or a plumber or or a bakery or whatever, um, this is really designed to, to live in the urban environment. And there's so many different configurations in terms of how they can configure the vehicle to suit their particular business needs. Okay. Just a final question is that, by my calculations, SUVs of all sizes and types are about 30% of the market. Is that going to continue to grow? Are we all going to be driving SUVs in another 10 years? Or? You know, I, if I knew, I, I you know, I, I think at the end of the day, there's obviously demographics that drive that. Those tend to be family vehicles. Uh, and, and so we expect them to be, remain really strong going forward. Probably uh, a bit of a growth segment here in the States that, that, that hasn't fully taken off yet but is really on fire in other parts of the world is the segment that what we call the BSUV segment. So one size smaller than our, than our Equinox. Subcompact? Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're going to get smaller and we're going to see more of them? I think, you know, that Margaret continues to, the market's great, right, because it, it will, products will come to serve it. Uh, that's the beauty of it all. And so we'll see. But it, I expect, you know, there's people that live in urban environments that, that want that kind of functionality image uh, of, that a small SUV could offer. Thank you. Thank you. That was Tim Mahoney, the marketing manager for Chevrolet here at the Chicago Auto Show. Tim Mahoney mentioned Chevrolet's new compact van, the City Express, which is based on the Nissan NV200 and differs mainly in exterior styling, so it's not a GM design. Both the City Express, which goes on sale in the fall, and the NV200 will compete mainly with the Ford Transit Connect, a small van Ford has offered in the U.S. since 2009 as an alternative to full-size cargo vans like Ford's E-Series. Ford has redesigned the Transit Connect for 2014 and is giving it greater emphasis as a passenger vehicle than as a small cargo van. Here is more on the 2014 Transit Connect from the Chicago Auto Show. We are here at the Chicago Auto Show with Mark Shermer, a spokesman for Ford Motor Company, and we're talking about the Transit Connect, which has been redesigned for 2014. Uh, and it originally came to the United States in the t- 2010 model year, but it is new now for 2014. Mark, what are some of the significant changes Ford has made to the Transit Connect? Well, actually, yeah, it's a great, and we're, we're in a Transit Connect right now, and everything has changed. This is an all-new product. We actually changed, we moved even where the production is. So it's an all-new product um, that we're getting in the market right about now. Dealers are starting to get the new Transit Connect. It's new from top to bottom, and one of the things we've really tried to do is take it from its position currently as a commercial vehicle. We sell about 80% of these vehicles as commercial vans. The Transit Connect is about 80%. We're trying to move it much more to a retail consumer, looking for three-row passenger, looking for a smaller footprint with ability to seat seven, better fuel economy. And overall, as you can see in this vehicle, we've really gone to a look that it's common to, it looks like it's part of the family with the Escape and the C-Max and the Focus, some of our very successful uh, retail consumer pointed cars. And we really hope that roughly 60% of the new Transit Connects that we sell will be to retail customers. Now, with the original one, you did have a five-passenger version, but the new one will come in two? Correct. Yep. Two configurations? Yep. You could buy it with a configured with seating and everything, but this one you can get both 
two row, five seat, or three row, which will seat seven. There's also now a short and long wheelbase model. The other things that we've done to make it more for the retail customer, we'll offer a long wheelbase, seven seat titanium package, which would come with leather seats. All the things that a customer who's looking for, you know, a lot of nice features would get. We'd make all that available to them. We really think we'll have an opportunity with that. Now, the original one is uh, is compact size and length, but it was quite tall. Is the new one as tall? Yeah, actually, I think the new one is slightly shorter, if I'm not mistaken, but it still has a huge amount of headroom. And it does have, and that's one of the things, the interior space of this vehicle is really astounding. And if you fold all the seats flat, the cave you get in the back is unlike any other vehicle we sell for, you know, this size, the footprint. It's a lot of interior space. And we think that interior space, a lot of it through the great headroom and uh, the visibility of that will be a good selling point for the car. Now, normally a, uh, a seven-passenger vehicle would have a much larger footprint. Correct. Yep. Things like the Ford Flex or the Ford Explorer are just bigger vehicles. They're wider and a bigger footprint. So um, they also, um, because they're larger vehicles, fuel economy. They're you know both those vehicles are leaders in their class of fuel economy, but the class is big. Where this vehicle um, for the um, seven seat. Um, transit kind of wagon were rated at 2328, 23 city, 28 highway. Um, you can get the one with a 1.6 liter EcoBoost, more the commercial vehicle, and that will actually do 30 miles per gallon on the highway. So a good fuel economy story uh, with this as well. So we think it for Ford, it's our most affordable and most efficient seven passenger vehicle now. Now you're referring to the uh, passenger version as a wagon. It has dual sliding side doors. Can I call it a minivan? Well, as we were saying, you can call it whatever you'd like as long as you buy one. Um, but certainly it does have minivan sliding doors. And we know a lot of customers like that and look for that, particularly because it gives you a really wide opening without having, you know, if you're in a parking space, without having to open up any large doors. And the, and the opening here is huge, so it has that feature that's common on minivans. But we've chosen to call this the Transit Connect Wagon. Okay, and, and the rear uh, access or access to cargo, you have two choices there? Yep, as well? we do. Uh, we have a traditional hatchback that you'll be familiar with. One big Big uh, shell opens up like our Flex and the Trans and the and the um, Explore and Escape. Frankly, all our utility vehicles. But we also offer dual doors that open um, like your side-by-side refrigerator or something. Swing out the swing out doors and uh, those those open very wide, give a lot of room. We think that's a neat option. And uh, the swing out doors, they open what? 180? It's 180 degrees. You can release them and they get entirely out of your way if you're really hauling cargo into this thing, putting now, cargo in. This is still a compact size vehicle, and on the uh, the cargo version, who's likely your likely customer for that? Well, for the cargo version, the more of the commercial type vehicle, we do a lot of delivery companies. Uh, we sell a lot to florists, even small businesses that need. Um, you know, a vehicle that'll have a little bit, you know, some good payload. I think it's a 2,000-pound payload in those vehicles. So, you know, we do a lot of business with small businesses, and we know that's a real good customer, and we want to keep those customers. But our goal with this new one is to grow retail customers and have people look at this as a great seven-seat option on the market. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Mark Shermer of Ford Motor Company talking about the 2014 Transit Connect. And that's what's new about the Ford Transit Connect. And to correct one thing, Mark Shermer of Ford said the maximum payload of the Transit Connect is 1,700 pounds, not 2,000. It can tow up to 2,000 pounds. We have to pause for another break. And when we come back, we will be talking about autonomous cars that drive themselves. Stay tuned as we gaze into the auto industry's crystal ball and look at the future of the car and driving. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we've been talking about some of the new vehicles at the Chicago Auto Show, which is going on now through Monday. But the most intriguing news for me at this year's Chicago Auto Show wasn't a shiny new car. It was a study conducted by IHS Automotive 
a global consulting company that researches trends and technology in automobiles and other industries. That study, entitled Autonomous Cars, Not If, But When, caught my eye because it lays out a probable timetable for advanced features that ultimately will result in cars that do all the driving all the time and won't have steering wheels or pedals for accelerating or braking. Can this really happen? And how soon? Yes, it will happen, says A. Gil Juliuson, an analyst for IHS and co-author of the study, and he says it could happen in 20 years or less. I sat down with Juliuson at the Chicago Auto Show, and he described a future in which cars will increasingly operate on their own, and the role of the driver will steadily diminish to the point where we may no longer need a driver's license. Fasten your seatbelts. Here is the first part of that interview. I'm speaking with Egil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive, a consultancy that delves into all matters of automotive present and future trends. And he is one of the authors of a study, The Autonomous Car, and it is described as not if, but when we will see the autonomous car. What does IHS forecast as far as the autonomous car, when we we will start seeing them, and in what uh, what form will they be? Yeah, there, there will be a progression uh, the, between now and 2025. So 2025, we think that the really self-driving cars, where the driver basically doesn't have to do anything, that will be available. And in between now and then, we'll go through what's called level one, is where it can drive itself in, in a traffic jam in one lane, can't change anything. Level two means it can do some more things, so it could switch lanes in a traffic jam and then the level 3 which we're forecasting and, and, and many of the auto manufacturers said they're going to have that by 2020 then the car can drive itself on a highway so it can pass and, and, and do all the things for, on the highway but if you're going to exit then the driver has to take control back or it could be self parking and, and actually you'd stop at a garage and it, it'll just go find its own spot and then it'll, it'll retrieve it when, when you're done so that's level three and then level four then that's when the car can drive itself without any driver interaction and uh, again that comes at 2025 and but you still have the control so the driver could take over and then what we call level five uh, is is when when there are no longer any controls that the driver could use so the car can only drive itself we think that comes about 2030 although when you're looking that far out you know things could speed up or, or could slow down uh, but but I don't think there's any question that, that self-driving cars or autonomous technology that, that make the car drive itself is going to be here. It's uh, you know we can still argue about when. What uh, what are some of the things that could delay the introduction of these different levels you just described? Yeah, the, the, it's more the you know we have to change the laws, and uh, that, that's it's very hard to to, to predict how, how the the legal system is going to work. When you say change the laws? Well, for instance, today, uh, in the, the rules of the road says you, you have to have your, your hands on the, on the steering wheel. At, you know, maybe you can leave it for a few seconds, but if it's off for a long time, that, that's illegal. And so the, the Mercedes S-Class today is capable of, of driving itself in a traffic jam, but uh, because of the rules, the, it is actually set up. So if you take your hands off the wheel, it kicks out of that mode, and so... We need a we need a change in the in the driving laws to be able to take advantage of what, what technology is already there today. In the United States, is that something that would be done at the federal level or at all fifty states? Yeah, that's that's the problem. It probably yeah. has to be done at both levels. Although you know, I, I think you're going to see the uh, you know a couple of states do it first, and the other ones going to going to follow up fairly quickly because they don't want to be perceived as being behind. Now, now right now we have. Uh, Systems available such as adaptive cruise control, which will maintain a specific distance uh, from the vehicle ahead of you, and even apply the brakes or slow the car down to maintain that. Yeah. Uh, we have self-parking features available. Right. What, what would be next? What would we see uh, sooner? Well, it, it would be the say the adaptive cruise control with the with the autonomous braking. That would then classify as that level one where the car 
can actually drive itself in, in the same lane in a, in a traffic jam. So, so that would be the first step, and that's what uh, S-Class and some of the cars are coming have. And but, but again, you know, you got to keep your, got to hold the steering wheel. So it's not very, very useful to some extent. Although, you know, it certainly can, it can, uh, you know, avoid many accidents. So from that point of view, it, the, the autonomous braking is turning out to be an exceptionally good feature, and it's saving a lot of lives. We are talking with Egil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive, on the future of the autonomous car. And there's a, something that you describe as autopilot that will come in, you know, at what stage and what will that do? Yeah, the autopilot typically is, is also we call that that's the level three functionality when the when the car has uh, has the autonomous driving capability in certain driving situations like on a highway, like parking itself, or like in a traffic jam where it can move around from lane to lane. So, so autopilot, uh, you know, take, they're taking that from the airline industry, basically, that the, the car drives itself part of the time and, and the pilot takes over when, when needed. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, the autopilot feature on aircraft, and uh, one of the things the FAA has had to do in recent years is that the skills of the pilots eroded so much that they had to retrain them to yeah. do manual landing and takeoff. Yeah, I, I think, and yes, that's certainly true, and, you know, we're going to probably have the same problems in the car industry, you know, somewhere after 2025, but, but on the other hand, then when you go to this, the last stage where there are no driver control, then then you know you avoid that problem, and uh, and the other thing is the interesting thing is when, when you have a car the, the level five that can only drive itself, all of a sudden it expands the potential for car usage because you don't need a driver's license. The car gets a driver's license, and so it, it, oh you know, my <laughs> yeah. So, so think about you know in the U.S. there's roughly you know actually U.S. have as a percentage of population have the lot the largest uh, number of, of drive of, of percentage with driver's license, you know, go to China or India, you know, it's a minuscule portion of the population that has a driver's license. And um, so, so that, but when you have a self-driving car, then all of a sudden the mobility that you have with a driver's license can now be transferred to the people without driver's license mm. or the people that shouldn't drive, whether they have one or not. So one of the problems uh, we're facing here in the United States is the aging baby boomers. When do you take exactly. the keys away? Exactly. You won't have to. No, you won't. Have to, yeah. <laughs> so, so it does solve a lot of problems like that, and but it also expands the the, the, the market for you know sending kids to the soccer practice or, or you whatever. So it does open up so the the mobility services we call it, you know that that the car provides that that can now be available to non-driver licensed people, which is the vast majority of the people in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're describing as the uh, the self-driving car, the Level five, the ultimate one that has no driver controls. And what do you do? You get in the car, and what would you do? Well, you you just uh, I, I don't know. You're going to tell it where you want to go in some ways, or maybe you, if 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 you own it, then you probably transfer it from your smartphone or something like that. Or if it's a, if it's a thing that that you that a shared car that you use, then you when you ordered it, you know, you told you where you're going to go because they want to be able to plan the use the usage of, of those self-driving cars. So so, but it, you know. At that point in time, you know, you, you you can do whatever you want to. So, consuming entertainment and internet access is no longer drive a distraction issue. I see. And when do you expect to see again these level five cars? I, I think you, you're going to see those more towards the 2030. Although, you know, when you go that far, quite often uh, you, you might be you might be conservative. Generally, when you when you do forecasting, you tend to be a little too aggressive in the next five years, and then you tend to underestimate over the, the 15, 20-year period. So if that's common, you know, then, then maybe it'll come before. I, I think the idea of the autonomous car scares a lot of people. In fact, there was just a survey done by Harris Poll that said that 88% of Americans were worried about riding in an autonomous car. But as you described this, it is going to come in in stages, not all at once. Yes, uh, and, and, and so during those stages, we'll 
get more comfortable, we'll see that that these levels of autonomy are, are actually going to cut down the amount of, of accidents. It's going to save a lot of lives. It's going to save a lot of property. And, and the reason is that... 90-plus percent of all accidents, you know, and there's almost 6 million accidents in the U.S. per year involving 11 million cars. And 90% is driver errors, quote, whatever, you know, error can be a range of things. So if you look at from that point of view, the self-driving car is a much better driver than the average driver. We are talking with Egil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive, about the autonomous car coming soon to a dealership near you. Now, in uh, in the United States, the average age of vehicles on the road is about 11 years. So as these autonomous cars in their various stages and forms come online, uh, there's going to be a mix on the road between conventional cars and autonomous cars. Is that going to be an issue? At some point in time, yes, it will be an issue. Now, in the, 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 you know, it means that you got to, the, the self-driving car has to be designed to to live in an environment where there are crazy drivers out there that you might have to do funny things to avoid. And so, but over time, I think as as the percentage of you know of the, the cars on the road goes towards 50, 60, 70 percent, which is a long time off, then maybe there'll be some areas saying, okay, this area is only for self-driving cars. That, that that's possible. You, you might do that, and uh, like a like a current high occupancy vehicle, right, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's way too early to see how society will react to that. Uh, but uh, something like that certainly could happen. That was a Gil Juliusson, an analyst with IHS Automotive and co-author of the study "Autonomous Cars: Not If, But When." We have to pause here for one more break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation on the self-driving car. Stay with us. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks here on TalkZone Radio. My guest is A. Gil Juliuson, an analyst with IHS Automotive and co-author of the study Autonomous Cars, Not If, But When. I had an illuminating conversation with A. Gil at the Chicago Auto Show about autonomous cars and how soon we might be able to buy one. Here is the rest of that interview. Now, earlier this week, the Department of Transportation said it's going to propose a uh, regulatory standard for uh, connected cars, cars that communicate with each other, basically talk to each other on the road to prevent accidents. Will it be necessary for these uh, autonomous cars to be able to talk to all vehicles on the road? Well, the the V2V vehicle, yes, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been working on it for 10 years, and hopefully in five or six years we'll really have that. But, you know, they're, they're... they're kind of independent from self-driving car, but on the other hand, it would provi- provide extra information that would help in, in, the, in how the self-driving car operates. So I, I believe that they'll go together, and, and because uh, V2V, if you compare it to the various driver assist, the, the advanced to the ADAS type systems, it's a very inexpensive system compared to, say, you know, adaptive cruise control or, or um, you know, autonomous braking. Uh, those systems, when you add them up, they're, they're usually in the $1,000 plus minus, and if you add several of them, you know, they're several thousand dollars. But the V2V, once it's in volume production, it's a $200 type device, and so it's it's the least expensive device you can put in a car uh, and, and get lots of benefits. And, and then, But you got that means you've got to have that in, the, in the, the cars on the road, the aftermarket. And the good news is that... 
smartphones can add that functionality to it and uh, so, so we expect to see then you know by t- after 2020 or so that that the average smartphone may have that feature in it so it can you know when you in the car it'll transmit that you know you turn it on in some ways to say okay now be my v2v uh, system so other vehicles will know you're there and yeah and, and so, so you're, cars you're headed right at them and right <laughs> well, yeah exactly well, the idea is that you you get the signals 10 times a second you can then calculate the projections of, of each of the cars around you and if you see some potential impact then then right. it'll warn you so. okay so the sixty four thousand dollar question <laughs> is how much does uh, the autonomous car how much is it going to cost yeah it, it's of course anything that that's that sophisticated starts at a fairly high price although it probably is not going to be as much as, as we think we, we estimate that in, in 2025 it'll be in the seven thousand you know an extra seven thousand dollars for all of those features and but then it'll go down fairly rapidly so by the time you hit 2030 it'll be more like three thousand dollars and uh, and then over time then it, it literally gets built into the car so to speak and and you really won't see much of it like just like any other thing that becomes standard in your car it's when it's in, embedded in there in every car you you know it's part of the purchase price so now do you uh, does your forecast say whether the US will be a leader in this in the world or will other uh, uh, other countries be quicker to adopt autonomous cars now, I think that the US will be one of the leaders there's really you know there's really four areas Western Europe uh, US Japan and Korea are the ones that tend to to uh, put new technology in cars first and uh, and and basically I, I think that this is going to be has to do a lot of software skills and the US has by far the largest base of, of skilled software developers and, and these are also going to be so, large software project management you know, which we normally don't talk about but that's important because you need to develop some fairly high level software projects and the US is, is quite good in that and so hence for that reason and you've seen Google in many ways that's what that's their expertise that they're bringing to that that's why they they jump started all of this or they jumped over what everybody else has done and they have for, autonomous uh, uh, yeah. prototypes on the on the road right and and but but it, those people came from the you know, well, these the, the DARPA challenge type that that, that ran through right but, but Eagle every uh, every electronic device I've had yeah. at one time or another has let me down yeah. and failed and what do you can you expect from the autonomous car where everything is electronic yeah, I'm in, in I'm basically in the report I put in that that the the, the, the technical challenges are are, are cyber security and, and then software reliability and so uh, probably what you're going to see that that there are going to be some standards set up to say that that I mentioned the car needs a driver's license literally and and to get that driver's license each model and each model year is going to need a driver's license and and so it'll be run through tremendous amount of, of tests and un, unexpected thing and it has to pass that and uh, and then so then it gets designated yeah this one has been approved uh, for that and and they're going to probably set up some fairly stringent testing rules and uh, you know along the way and and, and that's the way we're going to solve that you know the, there will still probably you know sooner or later something will happen and my, my suggestion is that uh, that every self-driving car you know the, they have the black box with with a camera so it's literally that records everything and they save it for 15 seconds and after that it's gone and then you know if something happens uh, then you save that 15 seconds the last and you know another 15 seconds and they'll tell you whether it was somebody that ran into you or whether the car caused that so then you, you have all the all the data that then they can go see and then improve on the car so, so you're probably going to see something along those lines so, so your insurance agent is actually going to have to be a software expert well no not really <laughs> well the interesting thing is once you have the self-driving car only the insurance is not with you it's with the car I see. So think about that. You know, you no longer your your how you behave is no longer impacting the assurance on the car. So that will give then the incentive to the car maker to really make this because they're basically 
will provide the you know either in the the lease or as part of the purchase or, or, or you know car you know car may very well become a a service as most as opposed to a product uh, in, in a larger sense to today so uh, so that that changes the insurance industry at some extent too that's why this has so many implications the further we go down the timeline I can hardly wait for the time when I can do whatever I want when I'm in my car thank you very much Egil Juliusson of IHS Automotive yeah no problem there you have it the future of driving may actually involve little driving or none at all we'll just be passengers in self-driving cars well maybe not all of us Every major car company, as well as Google, the technology company, has prototyped self-driving cars either on public roads in limited controlled tests or running around their own test tracks. That includes Ford, which has a fleet of self-driving fusion sedans at its proving grounds in Dearborn, Michigan. Ford, however, says drivers should always be able to take control of their vehicle when needed and, in fact, have a responsibility to be in control. On the same day I spoke with Agel Juliuson, a Ford executive described a somewhat different future. Joe Hendricks, Ford's president of the Americas, said at the Chicago Auto Show, he can see a day in our lifetime when a car finds a parking spot, reserves the spot, and then the navigation system takes you there and parks the car for you. Hendricks added that technology will allow cars to safely travel much closer to each other and improve traffic flow. But he also said, We believe that a driver should always have access and be able to take control, like an airplane pilot. The issue with the autonomous cars is that the technology isn't perfect, Hendricks said. Where does liability start and stop? Where does accountability start and stop? You don't want the driver to be completely disengaged. That was what Ford executive Joe Henrich said at the Chicago Auto Show about autonomous cars. Ford believes that fully autonomous cars, those without any driver controls, may not be required in the future because current and future collision avoidance technology will significantly reduce accidents without taking away all driver control. At the Detroit Auto Show last month, Raj Nair, Ford's head of product development, said these features should be viewed as driver aids, not as doing all the work for the driver. Nair said, I think the challenge is how do you keep the driver engaged so that they don't rely on these as crutches? We want to keep the driver in the loop. That's Ford's view of autonomous cars. This is a story that will have a lot of developments, twists, and turns over the next several years, so we'll be sure to revisit the status of autonomous cars periodically. And that is about all the time we have for this week's episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Next week, we will be back with more news from the auto industry, including more advanced infotainment systems coming from General Motors, and whether that means more or less driver distraction. My guest will be Jake Nelson, Director of Traffic Safety Advocacy and Research for AAA, the Motor Club and Travel Services Organization. Jake will discuss the safety implications of infotainment systems in vehicles, privacy questions related to connected cars, driver training in the U.S., autonomous cars, and other driving and traffic issues. That's next week on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks here on Talk Zone Radio. Until then, please visit my website, carstrucksandbucks.com, for news updates, vehicle reviews, and more information about future shows. Thanks again to all of today's guests and to my producer, Dave Olson, for splicing all of it together into a seamless presentation. And thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>